Cashflow Ninja, episode 219 with Amy Wan. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, I'm joined by Amy Wan that will share how you can democratize access to legal counsel and capital. Amy is the founder and CEO of Bootstrap Legal, which automates the drafting of legal paperwork for real estate private equity, syndication, and crowdfunding deals. Previously, she was a partner at Crowdfunding Lawyers and General Counsel at Patch of Land, a real estate debt crowdfunding platform. Amy is also the founder and co-organizer of Legal Hackers LA, which programs around the intersection of law and technology. Amy was also named one of the 10 women to watch in legal technology by the American Bar Association Journal in 2014 and was nominated as a finalist for the Corporate Council of the Year Award in 2015 by LA Business Journal. Amy has also worked in international regulatory and trade policy at the U.S. Department of Commerce and was a presidential management fellow at the U.S. Department of State and U.S. Department of Transportation. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC Lobsher or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja, one word, to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can also download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. I've created a Cashflow Ninja investment group where I share opportunities that I'm investing in with my fellow investors. If you're interested in joining this group, please email me at info at CashflowNinja.com and we will continue the conversation to see if you're a good fit for our group. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for higher yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities The Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at Mahogany Bay Village in Belize or investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the U.S., visit CashflowNinja.com forward slash real asset investor. Gelt Inc. is a multifamily syndicator which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Gelt provides its investors with significant cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. You can reach out to Joss Satin at joss at geltinc.com to learn more. Have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start and how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. 
If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRAs within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Can you please share a little bit about your background and your journey with my listeners? Yeah, sure. So I actually uh, am an attorney by training. I actually started off uh, going to law school wanting to be a human rights attorney, of all things, and quickly found out, you know, that uh, that wasn't quite my cup of tea. But, you know, I, I think when it comes to figuring out what I wanted to do with the law, it's always been a mixture of money and morality. Like how do you use money to help people, right? And so over the years, I went from international trade policy to crowdfunding. And now what I'm doing today after, you know, being GC at a real estate crowdfunding startup and partner at a, uh, a securities law firm is uh, what I'm trying to do today is basically to help people compliantly get the legal documents they need to go raise capital right now specifically for their real estate project, but in a way that is user-friendly, that's predictable, that does that isn't going to scare them away because I know, you know, one of the things people hate most is walking to walking into an attorney or a lawyer's office. It's like it's probably like the equivalent of going to a dentist, right? It's just something that people dread. And so I'm trying to recreate that experience in a more positive way. Yeah, no, I'm very excited to jump into a, several topics with you because uh, as you and I discussed previously, there I just saw such a need for someone to actually address this, uh, what you're addressing and solving this problem. Because when we look at real estate syndications and raising capital as investors, as you mentioned, the first thing, uh, and I've, you know, this was a mind mindset block of mine at some stage too, is now I've got a lawyer up. Now I basically <laughs> have to get this team because I'm going to take other people's money in the United States, which is a very litigious society, and there's a lot of different minefields. Uh, what would your response be to that? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, the first thing to understand is it's not as an intimidating process as people think or feel, right? And typically when I get clients who are brand new syndicators, they come in, they have no idea what they're doing. They don't even know how to structure the deal. But basically one or two deals later, they, they feel like they get it a lot more. And what also helps a lot more in that, you know, early stage learning process is if they have some sort of, you know, syndication coach or mentor. Um, I, I tend to find that, uh, you know, people who are just starting out in syndication, if they have that sort of mentorship or business partner or, or partnership with someone who's got a little bit more experience, it's a lot smoother of a transition. They tend to more successfully fundraise their first deal. And that gives them a lot of motivation to continue instead of giving up. 
it's a huge thing that scare away people from that initial <laughs> deal and why people would be more comfortable in single family and, and, and so forth. Now, let's jump in, uh, into this a little bit because when you do raise capital for real estate syndications, which we've spoken on on the show before, and we'll t- touch a little bit on crowdfunding, which is similar. It's pooling money. It's regulated by the SEC because you're selling a security. What are some of the the regulations of this uh, under the SEC? What are some things that syndicators and anybody that's raising capital in the real estate space should know about and should be careful about? Sure. So the one thing that I like to teach everyone that I talk to is just the simple motto, right? It's what the SEC giveth the SEC taketh away. So what that means is that the more freedom the SEC gives you in terms of uh, raising capital, the the more they're going to ask of you in return. And when they ask something of you in return, it's not necessarily, it's not money, right? It's mostly about disclosure and who you can raise money from. So, you know, to keep this very simple and high level, especially for your listeners, I'm going to touch on three of the regulations that I think are probably going to be most useful to them, right? Um, and so this is someone who is either just starting out or is already um, an expert syndicator, but isn't quite at that point where they can like easily raise 50 or $100 million in one go. So, you know, for people who are just starting out, there's, there's a new rule called regulation crowdfunding. We call it RegCF for short. And basically... That rule says, hey, you can go out, you can raise from anybody you want, so they don't have to be a rich person or what we call an accredited investor. Um, you can advertise, right? But you can only raise up to a million and change every 12 months. So that's just something you have to keep in mind. And that regulation, I think, is specifically for those real um, beginners, especially the ones not in the coastal states, because, you know, if you if you buy just a single family home in a coastal state, it's probably going to be more than like a million dollars, right? So, right? so that funding tends to get used pretty quickly um, uh, through a short number of deals. Now, uh, if someone isn't, you know, if someone doesn't want to raise just from the crowd or from regular people, then there's basically two other uh, regulations that they can use, and they're called Rule 506B as in boy and C as in cat. So B is the one that probably 99% of people use today. It's the one that's been around for decades, and it basically says, hey, you can have as many investors as you want. You can raise as much money as you want, right? So if you want to go raise a trillion dollars, be my guest. The only thing that the SEC asks in return is that you provide certain disclosures to your investors, right? Um, and that comes in the form of legal paperwork that you limit yourself to um, up to 35 non-accredited sophisticated investors, but you can have as many accredited investors as you want. And then the last thing is you just can't advertise. So you're really going to your network of family and friends, right? And people that you've been networking with that you've taken out for coffee, etc. And the last one, is what we call 506C, as in cat. There you can raise as much as you want. Still, you can take as many investors as you want. But the big difference from 506B is the SEC is now going to give you the ability to go advertise as much as you want, right? So you can 
post this on Twitter and LinkedIn and, you know, go to every single real estate meetup and shout about your deal to all these strangers, right? But what they're going to ask for in return, because you're advertising to the entire world, they don't want you to go after granny's last social security check. So they're going to make you limit yourself to accredited investors only. You still have to have to le- the legal paperwork and you have to actually verify that your investor is accredited. So under 56B, the investor can just tell you that they're accredited or prove that they're like, you know, financially savvy. Under C, they actually have to show you documentation. So there's quite a number of things that you that you cover cover here. Um, so let's jump into B because so advertising under B, you said there's 35 investors that are non-accredited but suitable investors uh, that could invest in that fund. Uh, let's talk on 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 advertising. Can I send emails to a mass mailing uh, group about my deal? W- what are some of what are some of the restrictions? And what is actually what did, what would you advise someone to be able to do at that stage if you're raising uh, money under that regulation? Sure. So you actually can send uh, emails to mass listservs. It just has to be your listserv of people that you know, right? Um, so you can't be like buying a listserv, uh, with a bunch of people that you don't know. Like I always say that it's good to at least have, you know, taken someone out for coffee, spoken to them on the phone. You want to at least have some sort of pre-existing relationship with them and not just like, Hey, I'm raising money. Are you interested? Like, and, and, you know, you know, maybe you're at some RIA meeting, you tell someone that, and that's, and that's when you take them out for coffee. You have to have that relationship before you're, you know, offering them the opportunity to invest with you. Gotcha. So this is not someone that signs up online on an opt-in page that you can just fire it off. There needs to be uh, a record of a pre-existing relationship you actually have to know this person or I would have had coffee with them uh, and put them on that list and that's okay to email them. Yeah. So what a lot of people do do, for example, is, you know, they'll have their regular real estate website. They'll say, Hey, are you interested in investing in us or with our properties? Right. Um, And so uh, maybe that there's that little sign up form. Maybe there's a couple questions about their financial suitability. And once that email comes in, they don't automatically get added to the email list. What they do is, you know, maybe the syndicator calls them up and says, Hey, how are you? I want to learn a little bit more about you. Have you invested in real estate before? What exactly are you looking to invest in? You're basically, you have to at least have a little bit of touch to get to know them a little bit better. No, and, and that's what I've seen people done successfully in this space where they do have sign-up lists. They do have someone that signs up basically on their list and they do interview them. They uh, develop that relationship beforehand and then they actually go ahead, mail out deals to them. What is the liability though, too? Because I've seen people forward certain things too. Why that's and I mean, it's funny. I chuckle when I say this, but this happens all the time. What are some of the regulations on that? Yeah. So at the end of the day, all the liability is pretty much on the issuer. So let's say, for example, um, you know, I send you an Mm. email about one of my deals, right? It it should be labeled confidential. It should be directed towards you. 
Um, obviously I can't really do anything if you forward that onto other people, but at the same time, I should not be directing you to forward it onto other people. Um, so, so, you know, there are situations where people that you don't know will hear about the deal, but at the end of the day, it is up to the issuer, the syndicator in this case, to make sure that, you know, the people who invest are people that, you know, actually qualify to invest under these particular rules. So it would be good to have a disclaimer on your email saying this is confidential. Please don't forward this to someone, you know, and so forth. And, you know, I, I get you, I get emails all the time. I get, I, every time I log on to LinkedIn, I think I get a heart attack, right? Because there's like all these people being like, Hey, I'm trying to raise money. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like if the SEC ever went onto LinkedIn, they would just have like a field day with enforcement. <laughs> this is why this is such an important uh, interview and episode, just because there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings of what's allowable, what's not allowable. Uh, but let's touch on that quick for a second. What are some of the consequences if someone is not following the rules? What are some of the consequences from the SEC's uh, standpoint? Sure. So if you, for example, don't have the proper legal paperwork and don't make all the proper disclosures, or for example, you um, have some omission of some material fact, right, that you didn't disclose to investors, then there is this concept called rescission. Basically, what it means is that uh, if that's what you did, your investor can get all their money back. Uh, so for example, if you lost money in a deal, doesn't matter. You have to give them back all their principal, right? Um, that's usually what I find to not be such a big deal um, because, you know, for the most part, unless you're dealing with like friends and family and some weird personal issue comes up like divorce or whatever, um, people don't usually complain to the FCC until, unless and until a deal goes sour. The bigger issue though is when it comes to regulatory enforcement, um, to the extent that the SEC sees what you're doing as, you know, a gross violation of uh, the regulations that are out there. There's a number of different actions that they can take anywhere from civil fines, which I find people don't usually care about. Jail time is a little bit bigger, right? So if there's going to be criminal charges, you know, a lot of people who have families don't really want to go to jail. But I think the biggest one is the potential of being labeled a bad actor. So bad actor is basically someone who, you know, if you have that label, whether from a federal or state regulator, basically it disables you from ever raising money or ever being involved in raising money again. So not only can you not raise for your next business or your next real estate project, you also cannot be the officer or director of any other business or project that is raising money. So I think that's the deal killer because that basically kills your entrepreneurial career. You're listening to Amy Wan on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back off to a word from our sponsor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. 
You're listening to Amy Wan on the Cashflow Ninja podcast, and now back to our interview. Regsy, a little bit different. Social media. I mean, this is Regsy, for instance, I've seen a lot of people establish funds that invest in certain investments. It could be mobile home parks. It could be certain multifamily syndications. It could be certain life insurance instruments and so forth. And under that regulation, there's a little bit more flexibility of putting information out there and advertising as long as you disclose that this is for accredited investors only. What are some of the, the uh, pitfalls of, of doing that? Uh, what are some of the mistakes, if any, from an advertising and marketing standpoint that you've seen people do out there? So it's really interesting. Um, so by Reg C, I think you mean 506C. Um, yes. It's actually Reg D, but people don't really mention Reg D. So okay. basically, um, you know, here's the, the biggest mistake that I see people make, right? To the extent you know, there's a lot of different types of real estate crowdfunding sites out there. There are the realty shares of the world where, you know, you can have them, uh, you can put your deal up on their website and, you know, they're a registered broker dealer. So they will help you sell your deal. There are the listing sites where you pay them a listing fee and it's kind of like Craigslist, right? You just plop your deal on their site. And a lot of people now are starting their own personal real estate crowdfunding sites. For the last two categories where someone is not actively there to actually help you sell your deal, the biggest mistake I see is a lot of people think that crowdfunding is like field of dreams. They think if I put it up there on the internet, the money will come. And that is not the case, right? Um, it does, you know, it is as much work to do crowdfunding as it is to raise capital traditionally where you're going to family, friends, private networks, investors, things like that, right? You have to get yourself out there. You have to hustle. You have to find a way to make sure that you translate through an online medium that you are a trustworthy and reliable operator. Because at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to real estate investment, half of it is they're investing in the property. The other half is they are investing in you and your reputation and the fact that you will execute and get the job done. And that's what you have to convey online. And I think that's what a lot of people really fail at. Structuring these deals when you're raising capital, uh, let's, let's talk about real estate syndications. What are uh, some of the important things to take into consideration when you are structuring these deals and raising capital from other investors? Yeah, sure. So it's interesting because I think sometimes when people are raising money, um, sometimes it's a syndication, sometimes it's a joint venture, right? And oftentimes people don't really know the difference. To me, the and this is not like a, a black and white rule, but the general rule is to the extent that there's uh, one investor or that in the investors are active investors, right? Like they're actually, they're hammering in the nails and managing construction and all that stuff, right? Um, to the extent that there are active investors or only one passive investor, that to me is a joint venture. Whereas if it's two or more passive investors, we're really talking about a syndication here. The second thing is that, and I don't know where in the world this um, this rumor popped up, but everyone comes to me and they think, hey, we have to have a GPLP structure. GPLP is General Partner Limited Partner. Um, that works for some clients in some cases, 
but not all clients in all cases. Typically, when you have a GPLP structure, you tend to be a lot more sophisticated. You've got like a team of 10 or more people, right? Because a GPLP structure does not lend for a lot of flexibility. Whereas if you're a smaller mom and pop operation, maybe you're like one, two, three, four people, um, you don't have this whole full-time team or staff, you're only doing a couple projects a year, that lends itself actually much more to an LLC structure, which is better because it does allow for a lot more flexibility. And the last part, and the most important part, right, is when it comes to economic distributions. I think a lot of people don't really think about how to structure distributions in the beginning. They're like, oh, we'll just like give you a percentage of profits or something. But really, the way you want to structure distributions is to um, reward yourself for doing good work, but also reward your investors for investing. And you have to align your incentives so that um, you work hard and your investors are motivated to invest alongside you, right? So everyone is kind of like incentivized along the same line. So at least in real estate syndication, that tends to be, there's usually some sort of split, right? The average would probably be 70% of distributions to investors, 30% to the syndicator. And um, there might be a waterfall, right? So I would say average, you see 8 to 9% waterfall. We also call this a preferred return, where basically the first money that gets paid out always goes to investors so that the syndicator has to work harder to ensure a higher return because they're not going to get paid unless their investors make at least a certain amount of money. Let's talk about uh, your entrepreneurial uh, venture here that uh, is doing fantastic stuff and solving a, a huge problem. And uh, I like how you put it too uh, in our previous discussion of uh, basically automating your uh, work, right? Um, so tell us a little bit more about Bootstrap Legal, uh, what you guys do, what the process is, and uh, just uh, talk us a little bit through your internal processes. Yeah, sure. So basically, when I was a traditional attorney at a more traditional law firm, um, there were basically things that would drive me crazy about how we practice law, like the fact that you know people would send out engagement letters and you'd have to print them out and then sign them and then scan them. And then there would be no accountability for the attorney. So because I've been a client before, right? I've, I've had to hire my own attorneys. And, you know, you give the attorney money and they disappear and you're like, well, are they working on my stuff? I don't even know. Right. right. Or like it's just, and, or the fact that when you pay an attorney, you have to send a check or a wire. Well, that's so slow. And I don't have time to go and stand in line at the bank. And so all these things really annoyed me. And, you know, the more funded documents I drafted, the more I was like, you know what? I can automate this. And I didn't want to just keep manually drafting documents for the next 30 years. And, I, and you know, every attorney on earth, I'm sure, always gets calls from clients at 4.30 on a Friday for like urgent stuff, right? That right. And the client needs it like Monday morning, right? And so you, inevitably you you have no predictability and you, you tend to lose your weekends. So I was like, I want to change this for myself and I want to change this for um, users. So we have basically created a process with Bootstrap Legal where we're kind of reinventing the legal experience for um, real estate syndication. Basically, when users come to our website, um, they can first have a consultation with 
an attorney, right? right. Um, if they decide to move forward because they have like a deal under contract or whatever, um, all they have to do is they digitally sign an engagement letter. Mm-hmm. They can pay instantly by credit card because we're in, we're integrated with Stripe, and so you don't. A, you can earn credit card points. Secondly, you don't have to like walk around your house trying to find a stamp, right? Or drive to the bank and send a wire. And then the third thing is, you know, instead of the attorney spending so much time on the phone with the client, we, I've basically taken all the questions I used to ask a client and turned it into a logical adaptive questionnaire. So we give that questionnaire, uh, it's online. We give it to the user. They take a first stab at it. Then they work with an attorney to refine their answers to the questionnaire. Once they press submit and send in certain materials that are needed, basically their first draft gets turned around in 48 hours, which is a huge improvement of, you know, like the two to three weeks that it would take a traditional attorney. And then the last thing is that, you know, I, I hate the idea of, oh, let me wire this attorney a retainer. And then three months later, I will get a legal bill and it'll be not what they quoted me. It'll be a lot more, right? And then they charged me for that, you know, 15 minute conversation. And I didn't know that they would charge me for it. Oh my God. Like I'm so scared of calling my attorney. And so we've basically made this a flat fee, predictable pricing model where we will tell you pretty much exactly upfront how much we're going to charge. Um, you're paying, uh, the, the software is bundled with, with the services and attorneys. So it does essentially end up being a little bit more like full service, um, although not completely. And then the last part of all of this is, you know, I've had a lot of pain points myself when I uh, was hiring my own counsel, right? They, I would write them a, a one-line email asking for like a, a yes or no uh, answer. And they would write me back four paragraphs with citations and charge me $2,000 for it. And that would annoy me to no end. I, I hated calling my attorney, right? And so what I've done is um, we're actually privately testing out a highly specialized legal plan. It's a legal plan only for real estate syndicators, right? But you get um, unlimited half hour consultations with the real estate securities attorney to the extent that you have a lot of questions before you get started on a deal, you want continued support, things of that sort. And it's just a flat monthly subscription fee per month. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get rid of all the parts I hated about being a client and being an attorney. Trying to get out all the things that annoyed you personally. So from a personal pain, uh, you saw all of these problems and came up with a elegant solution. At what stage should a prospective syndicator uh, bring in a legal team? And would a subscription like this be a good fit? Because that's a question that uh, I've been asked quite a bit, uh, not just in the real estate space, but just in business as well. What advice can you give around that? Sure. So, you know, we currently have two different products. One is the legal plan for legal advice. And then one is um, actually getting your documents. So the legal plan, I would say that people can get started as soon as they feel that they're ready to really begin exploring the world of syndication. Right. And so that kind of gives you the support of, you know, Hey, uh, I'm trying to get under contract for this specific property. 
Um, what sh- what do I need to know? How do you think we can structure this, um, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you know, it, it gives you that that ability to kind of come up with all the planning of the deal. Now, when someone actually gets something under contract, that's when you start the paperwork process, right? Um, that would be for a single asset syndication. So, you know, that's if you're only trying to syndicate one property to the extent you're trying to do a blind pour, blind fund, which is basically a pool of money and you have a business plan, but you haven't actually identified any properties yet. You basically start that process whenever you're ready to start raising capital. Um, but you know, the, the, the plan is, is a nice little segue to get educated and get up to speed on everything you need to actually do a syndication and once you're actually ready to press the go button, um, you know, that's when the legal doc- document starts getting cranked out. Now, Amy, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is they're always studying and always learning new things and new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what new skill sets are you currently learning? Oh, man. You know, doing my own startup, starting my own business has been an entrepreneurial journey for me. So I think I'm in the same boat as a lot of my clients. I've been reading a lot about um, entrepreneurship in general, trying to learn a lot about sales and marketing because, you know, I have the substantive knowledge, marketing and sales, not traditionally my cup of tea, right? Um, right. And so I've been listening to a lot of Audible books. So Grant Cardone talks a lot about sales, um, there's a, a book that I really like. Um, it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's actually a book about tech startups, but it's about um, uh, the the startup of the founders of Andreessen Horowitz, which is a large VC fund. And they started a business in the middle of the tech bubble, and it was really difficult. And so, um, you know, I particularly love that book because it, It just teaches you like always plan for everything going wrong, not everything going right. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. No, very, very uh, good advice. Now, core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Um, the first one would be never sell your integrity. Your reputation is just too valuable to gamble away on one deal or, or with one business, right? Um, the second one is, you know, always be open and honest. I, I think, um, giving context, even if you're just doing a deal helps a lot, um, in terms of, you know, getting to the end of any negotiation, for example. And the third one I would say is, um, you know, take care of yourself as well. Like, I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in your business. Um, but in order to help other people, you have to take care of yourself first. If you, if you're working like 20 hours a day and you're driving yourself nuts, that's not good for your family, for your friends and, and for your clients either. So, yeah. Amy, where can my listeners learn more about your company uh, and stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with? Yeah, sure. So our company website is bootstraplegal.com. Um, they can always find me on LinkedIn, of course. I'm Amy Y. Wan, W-A-N. 
And, uh, you know, I'm on all the social media channels. So Instagram, Twitter, things like that. So, yeah. Fantastic. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. This has been a blast having you on and connecting. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Alhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Thank you for joining my guest, Amy Wan, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. Many listeners have taken action and received a personalized game plan of how to collapse time in their financial plan and become financially free in 10 years or less. If you're interested in a personalized game plan and a custom roadmap to achieve financial freedom in 10 years or less, you can register for a free webinar at cashflowtactics.com forward slash ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gashku newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 44222. Geld Inc. is a multifamily owner which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Banking on the renter revolution amongst millennials and baby boomers, all-time low home ownership rates, and a major shortage of well-located apartments at affordable price points, Gelt has provided its investors with consistent cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. For more information on how to achieve sustainable yield for the long term, you can email Josh Satin at josh at geltinc.com. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you're an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at CashflowNinja.com forward slash Real Asset Investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They have designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. 
For more information, please visit joinopsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRA within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches that comes along with it, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning in the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness. 